Hello and welcome to Master My Garden podcast, the podcast that helps you master your own garden with useful tips, advice and know-how as you go on the way and journey of mastering your own garden. I'm your host John Jones and it's a pleasure to be with you here today. So let's get stuck in to this week's episode. Hello everybody and welcome to episode number 6 of Master My Garden podcast. Now today's episode is a little bit special. It's our very first guest interview and it's with Peter Donegan from Peter Donegan Landscaping and Garden Design. Now Peter Peter has been gardening pretty much all his life but a couple of I suppose special things to note with him. He set up his company in 2001 so he's gardening and in the gardening business for a long time. In 2018 he was chosen by a French panel to design and build a World War I commemorative garden in France. So he was, I think, one of, of 14 or 15 chosen landscapers from around the world. So it was great to have an Irish presence there at that. In 2019, he designed a garden at the RHS Flower Show in Cardiff and won a silver medal at that. So very good design credentials, and I'm sure you'll all learn something from that on that front. And in 2020, quite a busy year for Peter, he has um, designed a garden for RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. So again, that'll happen in July, and we talk a lot about that project, and it sounds like it's very, very interesting. Uh, it's online, so you can see, if you, if you Google Peter Dunnigan, um, Hampton Court Northern Roots Oldham, you will, you will see that. Um, he's also involved in the DIY SOS, the Big Build Ireland, so a lot of big projects done. Um, all of those projects, you know, they're design orientated. So we'll hear about those and we'll get lots of tips from. So that's it. Let's get stuck in to this week's episode. Okay, so delighted to be joined here for our very first interview for Master My Garden podcast with Peter Donegan, landscape designer. So Peter has a lot of big projects going on at the moment. And the first one we're going to talk to him about is Hampton Court. Um, so Peter, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks thank, very much. Thank you for joining us. Thank uh, you for having me. You have the honour of being the first guest on Master My Garden podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. It's a privilege, John. Thank you. Um, so tell us a little bit about Hampton Court first. Um, Hampton Court Palace Flower Show or Hampton Court Palace Garden Festival, as it's now known, is the largest flower show in the world averages about 140,000 visitors uh, and Hampton Court Palace itself is just a phenomenal place. The part where you get off the train, you, there's a little wee barge of a thing, you can pay three quid and you can go up the wee little jaunt of the river and you see the golden gates of the palace and just enough to be able to see in and then into what is Pims and champagne and um, pure and utter eloquence, and it's it's a wonderful uh, place. It's a very friendly show as well, and I think the the it's 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 a proud sort of moment as a um, as a designer to have a garden there, but more so to go there with the right team um, by your side, which is equally as important. It's a it's a funny thing to create a garden that nobody will ever see or that people have never been to. Um, you might see a photograph of it, 
but Hampton is just a little bit more accessible maybe than other gardens that have done in the past or gardens that have never been open to the public. So as silly as it sounds, it's like sitting in a room laughing on your own and then you're, you, you know, you sort of get a moment where you look around and you realise that nobody's there with you to share the, yeah. the moment. And on this one, we've got a team of maybe about 25, 35 people by the time the thing will go from um, building and machinery to... Um, setting the scene or setting that um, almost film set if you will and the polishing of the plant leaves and uh, that part on the on the tail out just before public walk through the gate so it's a big team it's a big undertaking um, but, it, but it's nice it's a proud moment and is this your first time to do Hampton Court Palace um... first time to do Hampton Court Palace uh, first time not not for a show garden, John, and I think that's a slight bit of a difference. You, you can rate, or, or or shall I phrase it, when designers are rated, it's usually on what you have done in the past. Uh, some people may logically look at medals, and others will look at whether it's a permanent garden or a show garden. And so Ed Burnham, who's the contractor, uh, it's Ed's 21st or a just show garden. Well, it's impressive and it's again I'll go back and say it, those people by your side are hugely important that the planting team is Chloe Quinn uh, who's been working closely with me for about last year and a half Pollyanna Wilkinson who's done Hampton twice under her own name Naomi Ferret-Cohen who's done Chelsea under her own name um, and that's before we get into the sponsors and Northern Roots Oldham and Northern Roots Oldham is about to be it's a 160 acre eco park largest in the uk um set in oldham and this garden is the sort of the launch for that so w- when we were talking off mike it's it's like me turning around to you saying i've got the national concert orchestra i've got the dubliners the pogues i've got the stones and led zepp and we're on tour together and you start to go whoa you look at mm-hmm. things just slightly uh, differently on, on one sense of it from my perspective, it's a sort of a checklist of things you don't need to worry about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of my mum when I was, you know, one of eight children and she's going, Liam is home, okay, okay, Fran's in bed, okay, Caroline's just rang, she's on her way home, she's with Mary, okay. And you start to do all the checklists and in my case, it's you start at the end of it and you see Polly and Naomi and Chloe, you got plant and finishing touches are looked after, okay, fine. Construction of the garden, that's Ed and his team that's that part looked after you've got cd stone in looking after the stone and bearing in mind the stone goes back to the to 1865 but we want to get the finishing touches and the cleaning on that uh right that sounds funny but when you start to look at how much do you clean the stone do you clean it so it's perfect well then you lose those 160 years of, of character yeah I've, I've, and some of the stone had been lying face down on the rough side and some of it being lying face up on the rough side side by side for for 60 years so that erosion and that sunshine hitting it so some of it was jet black and you're trying to get the two of them to to tone in together and then you look at the sort of the 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 grouting that you'd use in between and even when you get past that you get to the plant and you're looking at hardest loci who'd mainly grow for chelsea mark straver's a master grower a master craftsman and so you're ticking the boxes and you're sort of easing your mind the whole time, the whole way through. We've got a, an excellent, a superb team, um, an excellent sponsor. And, and, and again, there's a team in behind that as well. 
And once you get everybody on the same page, then you start to realise Peter's job is just as a... You're like the conductor of an orchestra, um, and and but you can't make it happen without the, the guy playing the trombone, and you can't make it happen without the guy playing the drums. Once one of those leaves, that's it. You're gone. Yeah, you know. So part yeah. of a puzzle that you're piecing together as the as the main man in the job. Yeah. You can call it the you can call it the main man, and and some people take that part of it, um, and 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 run with that. I think in my case, uh, I think there's an Irish genetics there which doesn't allow you get too far above your station, uh, a grounding, if you will. Yeah. And I'm I'm reminded of Dad when I came back from France, and um, I I you know when when I was having conversations with my dad, bless him, you you nearly have to find something that. You have to ring him and say, Dad, I'm looking for the bolts of a 72's Nusi wash machine. And he'd go, oh, do you know where's a good place for that? Yeah, yeah. And then you'd have a good conversation with your dad. I could phone my sisters and brothers and say I was talking to Dad earlier on. You know, I'm being sort of Maria about it. But I remember saying to Dad, I, I was in France. He said, how'd you get on? I said, they referred to me as Monsieur Architect. And he went... Yeah, that's great, Monsieur Architect. When you finish that there, cup of coffee, get out there and you wouldn't mind cutting that hedge for me. And you sort of realise, <laughs> like all of the, the things that you maybe had about yourself sort of don't matter. And it comes again back down to what me and you were saying uh, off microphone, which is if you've got a good heart and you've got a happy sort of head and you've got good people by your side, then... Um, then you put your arms, everybody puts their arms around each other and you, you, you do the sort of the Bee Gees walk together. Yeah. That's it. And it's a, it's much better doing it that way, I find. And from an Irish perspective, it, it must be nice to go to go over there and you know be present amongst all these top-end designers and, and, and garden builders and to be able to stand there shoulder to shoulder with them. Um, a little bit like going to Twickenham with a, a very good team. Um, you know, you're going there and you're... you're Mixing it with the best of them, that must feel must must feel like a good moment. Must feel I'd, proud of those achievements. I'd uh, I'd never really seen it that way, John. Now that you mention it, um, and I don't I don't mean to be disrespectful to any of the other designers who've who've been to Hampton. I think I'll I'll go back and say it. A lot of the the gardens that I'd done were were permanent gardens. They were. Um, very large or they were very grand or they were different shiny things you know one was a, a, a Pete Tong with the BBC Concert Orchestra and the other was a, a sort of a Led Zeppelin and neither of them are comparable but equally both of them are sort of wonderful and and um, I, I think I think when I look back bearing in mind the first show garden I did was 2007 uh, but I think the year before that I, I'd won an award for a, the design and build of an estate that was 55 acres mm-hmm. and the, the award after that was for a 27 acre 17th century estate and and then you go forward to three years ago to 2000 what are we, 2020, 18, 19, 1918 my apologies yeah. 2018 and you take the castle in France and funnily enough uh, in speaking to the organisers of that, 
on that 14 approximate week stint that I did over there, they referred to the fact that I'd been able to do a 17th, 18th century type thing, which is very, very formatted or it's very sort of um, 90 degree angles, shall I call it. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that there was like a, a pink boat sort of dropped in the middle of it. So I think all of the things I did were sort of slightly different, but show garden building is is a different, it's not a different set of skills. In piecing it together, it, you quickly realise this isn't permanent, it's just a stage. And nailing that psychology in it maybe is a little bit different. But I, I've never really looked at anybody and said, oh my God, that's, um, that's oh my God, that's your man. I've never really seen it that way. I've sort of had the, the thing that my dad had for me, which is that he says hello, he said goodbye and thank you. He brought cake, which you did today. <laughs> and and therefore he's all right. And and then I think after that, it's if you're good enough to be at the races, then you sort of earned your stripes. If, does, does that make sense makes to you? Makes total sense, yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the garden itself. So it's it's um, it's going to be the launch pad for a big 180 acre, did you say? 160 acre eco park, the largest in the UK. And uh, that'll be based in Oldham. What's interesting in that regard is that it backs on to another park called Alexandra Park. And Alexandra Park was built around 1865, around the time of the cotton famine in Oldham. And the amount of mills that it would have had around that time was like it was worldwide famous. It's it's up there with uh, Tulip Mania, if any of your listeners are aware of that. Uh, and, and that was like a stock exchange nearly for for tulips and the whole demise of that was it's just a phenomenal story um but the owners of the mills built alexandra park to sort of give jobs to the to the boys uh around that time so that they didn't end up out in their their ear and it's that in itself is phenomenal so when you when you take this park that goes back to 1865 and then you stick another one on the side of it you can't replicate this sort of what do i call it victorian-esque um, park with bandstands and lakes and waterfalls and uh, a wonderful little coffee shop in it as well and, and and then stick on the end of it something that is sort of Buckingham Palace-esque if you'll allow me to explain it quite simply you have to do in my opinion something that's sort of extremely new or fresh or brings you back into the 21st or 22nd century and so to have 160 acres of of a park and then this to sort of launch it meant the garden to be at Hampton had to reflect the old but also had to reflect the future so the stone that adorns the, the floor of the garden has come from the grade two listed old courthouse in um, or just my apologies the old town hall in Oldham and some of the mills as well and we've these big four or five tonne weight boulders that will be for the kitchen um, table the table my apologies table legs and again uh, I think they're sandstone and yorkstone and they've come from some of the old mills as well and they were just I don't mean to say they were just lying around the place but they they were at the time and then in the middle of it we've got this range of plants that horse loci are grown for us which would be stereotypical or synonymous with ye olde cottage gardens of old but arranged in a a sort of a more modern format, so not surrounded by books of sempervirens or box hedging. And then I think the piece that's probably going to 
draw <laughs> I'm giggling here in my head sorry um, but the piece that's probably going to draw people's eye to it is this um, undulated almost some people have called it a paper airplane some people have, have seen people's notes on their desk and it's referred to it as a dart but a paper airplane with a, an, an additional wing off the side of it is probably a good way to refer to it or a good description I think your listeners will know that if they just stick it into Google and take a quick search for it. They'll see the image pop up. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and, and and that's it. So it's got the old school, it's got the new school, and it's got the bit that joins the glue, hopefully, in the middle. Even the treetop has been made from um, an elm tree that that had fallen in the in the, in Oldham itself. And even at that, having a, an elm in any shape or form, as you'd be well aware. Yeah. And, and using it just as a tabletop and for furniture is, is sort of, you know, it says a lot. It says a lot. There's not too many elm trees in around any area, full stop. There's very few left anywhere. Yeah. Um, they were all wiped out, as we know. But uh, yeah, I, can't, I can't picture where, where there is one now. No. Um, so so that's what's happening with Hamden Court Flower Show. Um, what else is happening for Peter Dunnigan at the moment? Uh yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit. It, it, uh, there's a bit of a whirlwind happening. I sound very calm and placid when I'm saying it, uh, but RTE, the Irish Television um, Company, is that the right way to say it? Yeah, Radio Television. Radio Television. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they are doing a television program called DIY SOS, uh, the Big Build. In this case, it's the Big Build Ireland. And sort of taken the the Nick Knowles, Nick Knowles one, yeah, yeah, not to be confused with Nick Nick Nolte, and they've taken the Nick Knowles version, and so they asked, would I come in as, um, what do they refer to me as, the the garden art, landscape architect, that I've got it right, for the um, for the show. <laughs> My apologies, and and would I be one of the the purple shirts? I'll be honest in saying, I didn't know what. Uh, a purple shirt was because my my TV is very rarely on and I'm not in the country a lot, yeah. um, and so I had to to YouTube it. But it's a it's a nice compliment we've done at this stage now. Uh, it's public knowledge. We've done two and we're on the verge of doing the third show. So it's where show garden building might be sixteen days, approximately fourteen sixteen days. This is seven in reality seven and a half days of a garden build and that coincides with the house build and renovation as well so a very busy space with a a high pressure environment up against tv deadlines and so on but i'm sure a very rewarding end to it um from the little bit i know about those type shows i don't think in in all my years i mean i've done some pretty uh ridiculous more challenging I think is probably a better way to put it rather than ridiculous but some more some quite challenging bills uh, whether they were done through the night or whether they were done through a a 24 hour period multiplied by 3-4 days and having 2-3 crews running 8 hours 12 hours around the clock in shift I can give you an elongated list of them and I've never come across anything like it and I think even talking with some of the suppliers and some of the people who are working with me on them and they're saying so like they'll give us an extra day at the end won't they and I'm saying no like no it's not like no it's not happening uh, I think on the last one the the scaffold came down in the garden 
at half past six we'd weathered two storms one at the start and one at the end the scaffold came down at half six that night and we finished the program at half ten that evening so four hours later after the scaffold comes down and the garden's you know perfect it's it's just lunacy lunacy really intense very intense uh, 147 contractors volunteers on day one nobody uh, earns really from it uh, you can say well they are not you know on the goodwill or or you know that their product may be seen on the television and, and, and rightly so but at the same token when you're talking about crane and extension on day one you're roofing it on day three the kitchen had already been built in there on day two wow. Um, just that's before you even get to the garden never mind the garden the garden people see that on the television at, a, at another stage of the game but but when you take it that just as a build as a house build now try and build a garden around it so very exciting and very enjoyable to be involved in that I would say yeah I think it's nice I've been actually looking at trying to do something um, This I don't mean this to sound sort of hierarchical or uh, like I'm like I'm above my my station. We're back, we're back there already. Now we're both smiling. Um, but I'd been looking at doing something at home. Uh, anyway, and I didn't know what that something was. And there was a couple of projects in there, and I was supposed to go back to France for three months, uh, and and that was put on a slight pause. And then there was another show garden was supposed to happen. That went on a pause. And these things happen, and I, I I don't have a small violin bow for myself here. I, I pinch myself every single morning, pretty much, and have done most of my life. But then all of a sudden, Hampton comes along and RTE phones in the meantime and says, we want to do this. And you, that's not a bad day in, in the sunshine. And I'm, I'm privileged and humbled, and, and, and again, I'm honoured. But I've, I think at all times, John, I'll go back and say it, I've, I've very uh, good people by my side, uh, and I tend to place good people around me. I don't tend to read the news. I don't read the newspapers. And I, if you look at the quote that's written on my office wall, it's the it's the Roald Dahl quote, and uh, and and that's what I sort of try and wake up to every morning is something like that. Sort of that sounds. I don't mean it sound poetic or or overly um, childlike, but at the same token, I'll go back and say what I said to you earlier on. You can have all the childlike dreams in your head. If you don't make them a reality, be they, be that a show garden or other, now you're just a, a plumoser yep. standing in the corner of the pub and people don't take it too seriously. Okay. And so you've got to be able to back it up, yeah. Good. Yeah. So seeing as we're on a podcast, I'll read out that quote if you don't mind. Go ahead. If you have any good thoughts, they will shine out of your face like sunbeams and you will always look lovely. Did, not, I, did I get that right? Yeah, if you have good thoughts, yeah, boom, that's it. Excellent. But I, I just think it's a, it's a nice way to be and I, 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 I look I'm, I'm on the road a lot uh, I think last week was Manchester four days picking out stones for four for four days yeah. is a mild endurance in itself this week is London I'm speaking at the APL Awards I think I'm home then I think of one garden talk in Ireland and then we gear up for the next RTE show which is two weeks away and then I come up and we're gearing up towards Hampton and I think the pressure leads on and it sounds a bit funny now we're sort of heading towards the end of March when you think about it you've got April May and then June and you're gone so there's eight weeks but there's already four weeks taken out of there in between mm-hmm. there's already four so I've got four weeks to, not to spare 
but four weeks to actually get an entire show garden for Hampton the final pieces of planned. it together yeah planned yeah and that includes a couple of trips to Manchester in between there as well and mm-hmm. another trip to London so so very busy very busy for Peter at the moment um, yeah and and, and and take it grab on hold on to it with both hands because I think as most of your listeners or most people in the industry are, and even you're well aware John it's, it's not always you know sunshine and rainbows that's you, for sure you'll, you'll have a lot of time sitting down around the Christmas period and Halloween and the weather starts to change and the show gardens start to go um, into silent mode. So I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and rest when, when that comes along. But for the minute now, grab onto both handles. Very good. Well, uh, as you know, this uh, podcast is called Master My Garden Podcast and the premise of it is that we help people master their own garden. So um, I suppose people, some people get designers in, which mm. is great for you. Uh, others have their own blank canvas um, some work to a plan some do it bit by bit uh, some don't have a plan at all and they buy a plant and stick it in the corner then find another one and stick it in the corner and eventually they end up with some form of a garden but for somebody who wants to master their own garden uh, what would be the main design tips that you would suggest and you mentioned a very good point uh, while we were talking off air was that if somebody could sit down and envisage a perfect day in their perfect garden and that's always a good starting point. So could you give us a few tips as to how someone will go about doing that? Um, there's, I think there's two ways of, of, of looking at it always. So when I've done any garden talk, I've always said, if you're doing it on a budget, the objective is for the person who visits never to realise that you did it on a budget. And the example I gave you was uh, my Rolling Stones double vinyl for a fiver will always look better, sound better, and feel better than your 50 quid CD. Yeah. And that was that's one side of it. So if you take that analogy in mind, then the greatest trick is always to aim for the dream. And if you aim for the dream and you write down Rolling Stones, be it on vinyl or be it on CD, it, it doesn't really matter. Now it's not a money thing. One is 50 and one is a fiver, and, and the fiver sounds better than the 50. So you aim for the dream. So the wish list is always the thing. And when you get into the detailing of why people write down most of the things that they write down in that dream list or that wish list, you'll usually find it's because it, it evokes a certain feeling or, or an emotion. And that feeling or an emotion is, is what makes you stay longer in a garden. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you go and pick out that wedding venue or that hotel wedding venue, Normally it's the country escape lodge parkland setting where there's a there's a formula again referenced in seventeenth and eighteenth century gardens of, of, of old. There's a formula that people identify with that makes them feel like this is the place where you can dream. And in, in reality it's a place that one would have aspired to, or that was a, a grave distance away. And I reference a landscape in this but it's a place where everybody understands. Everybody can identify and close and close their eyes and see the, you know, the white laced umbrellas and Darjeeling teas on the lawns and playing croquet. Everybody can close their eyes and see that. And it's something kind of wonderful when you then turn around and say, well, I'm going to be wearing a white dress and my husband to be, or my wife to be is going to be in a suit and we're going to be on the lawn or one or 200 guests are going to be there. And it's a grand occasion. And it's a very special occasion. When you bring it back down and you try and squeeze that into a three-bed semi-D with 
a concrete upright fencing and a and a forty quid slot in fence as the backdrop, the the dream isn't there anymore. So, in in going back and explaining that, if you're speaking to, if, if clients to be are speaking to me or people are looking for a consultancy or some sort of direction of how to get to where they want to go, they may like that part, but you're never going to replicate it. Mm-hmm. In the so you you tend to take inspiration from it rather than try and replicate. But it's usually where it goes sort of wrong, and usually where it goes sort of right, and and that's it's getting it's getting that moment or getting that feeling or getting that space that you like to sit and try okay, and well, write it down. I like what you're saying. I've I'm not an, a garden design expert myself, and the fundamentals of it or the the ideas behind it, I'm not an expert on. Mm. But something I do know is that uh, gardens should. Uh, have a feeling or an emotion as you said yeah and in episode one i think i referenced my both my grandparents gardens and i remember that from you know a long time ago as it is now Mm. (laughs) but there was a feeling attached to both of them one of them one of those gardens was very much a veg and fruit garden Uh, and i remember distinctly the smells the the looks uh, how i felt when i was there and then on the other side the other grandparents garden was flowers and a different type of garden, but I re- distinctly remember the feeling from both of them. And I think that's something you've touched on there. And I assume that that is something that a person who's aspiring to master their own garden should think about is the feeling and what it is that they're looking to have from that garden, what it's meant to be for them. I, I think I'm reminded of, um, if, I, if I go back to it, John, and, and you speak to my my dad, uh, bless him, and he's talking about how you know the neighbours used to build walls with each other, and they'd build them at the back garden, and in the front garden they they put the hedges in. The builder used to leave you with some decent soil, and then it sort of became the the log roll epidemic, and then it went into you know cobble lock in your driveway, and then it became a, a whole ten years of everything was bamboo and railway sleepers. And you come out the far side and we, we go into the grow your own uh, scenario, which is invariably at the height of a, a recession. And if you go back to after World Wars, that's when the whole grow your own thing would have come in. It was a sort of an out of necessity. However, this, this time it came with the tagline, grow your own and save yourself money. And when you get past that, what you tend to find in times of um, frugality and versus times of having a little bit of excess cash times of frugality vegetable seeds actually go on the increase and in times of sort of boom we tend to buy more flowers you bring home a bouquet rather than a sack of spuds and one is obviously a little bit more romantic <laughs> than than the other and so gardens tended to, to change and depending on what era your your grandmother or grandfather grew up in and depending on how they were there whether one had a little bit more cash than the other usually led them into that sort of a a thing but that that whole walking through that field of uh, poppies or astromerias or whatever flower it was that was your grandparents uh, favorite that thing you're you're bang on cue it it, it is um it does sort of set a, a, a an emotion or a memory in your head that almost brings you all the way back like as if you're watching Kate Bushing and in, in Woodland Heights the, the pop video it just does something sort of to you but I'll, I'll still go back and say there are a couple of things for for your listeners 
if you can set that emotion of how you want to feel and you say you like that feeling of the cut flower garden or the vegetable garden most people don't have time and most people who were requesting raised vegetable beds for me as part of the design of their garden because it was on trend my first question was how much time do you want to spend farming yeah not how much time do you want to spend gardening how much time do you want to spend farming and if you only have a half hour on a Saturday, which is all they really had, you're talking couples with four kids, five kids, you're, you'd be lucky if you get five minutes to yourself before it gets dark. Yeah. And I'm one of eight children. It, it wasn't tenable, it wasn't logic for them to, to have that. And you've got the extreme at the minute now, which is you're into a total different argument, my apologies, but you know, fake grass or concrete and the whole thing and how that goes against it. And at the moment, I think one of the gardens that I have to design is a garden that takes into consideration shade for children um, so that they don't fry in the sun when it does come out and so mom and dad can leave. I don't mean leave them outside and blank them, but leave them outside to be, um, to just roam around and be outside and to do a little bit of digging or do a little, but it's, everything is pocket amounts. Yeah. Everything is a sit down, it's a conversation, me saying, well, you know, be logic about this. And then, as I said to you before, the trick is to take the daydream of the Kate Bush video, make it appear into an equation, and then only ever make it appear like a daydream. And so it works for very good reason. And you don't end up saying this patio is too big. We'll take part of it out. And you edit it over the next six months. If, I've done, if you're doing that, then I've done my job sort of wrong. And I think it's when, when you break it down and you really start to get into narrowings, then it's how big do you want the patio for? If it's only for four people to eat, then that's fine. If it's three beds semi D and your garden is six by six, then you're having a, a, a you know a patio area for two people, not for four. Yeah. The other two can sit inside in the kitchen, or you can go to the restaurant. <laughs> I can take turns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that's what you have to be serious about it because ultimately you want a place that woos you outwards. If it looks like you were just a cheap. I was going to say miserable and, and put a mild expletive after it. But if you if, if when you look out your window, that's what you see. You're reminded of your beau or your loved one that he actually didn't want to spend an extra 212 quid. You've probably got the garden design a little bit wrong. So, you know, it sounds a bit silly and it's very easy for me to sit here and preach. But spend the money, do it once, do it right. You know, I know gardens that have taken seven years to build and piece together. But the first things they did was the hard construction the last things they did were the planting and over a seven year period they got it to actually happen and piece together and that, that sounds a, lot, a long time but you know people have no problem doing well, it makes sense that that somebody starts with a with a good plan in their head uh, or a good plan on paper that they've designed themselves or got somebody else to design and then work towards that rather than looking to you know nail everything down in day one yeah because as we both know gardens evolve and change True. So to those moods and, and, and feelings and trends like your log rolls and so on. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So Still, that, that, that would be your main tip, I suppose, would be. I think there's that and I think it's an, an anticipating. It's a funny one. I did a garden for a very first client of mine up in Houghton, North County, Dublin. I did Mary's garden when the kids were like, I think, months old, two and a half and four and the daughters are now 21. And it's frightening to me uh, with a daughter now nine. And uh, I remember going in to take out the, the sort of teddy bears picnic garden that we had put in and to build a, a lean-to structure with swinging seats on it. 
and I'm putting in a bar area and I'm scratching my head. I actually said to Mary, God, I feel I feel old I feel old for the first time ever. But this had been taken into consideration when we did the first garden. This had been taken into consideration fifteen 17 years previous that's the gas thing about it was all taken into consideration so the garden is suiting her time in life essentially the garden is just it's just adopted it's mm. just adopted and and it's a funny thing about gardens if you if you don't change a garden every 10 to 15 years if you don't do it nature will do it for you that that is no question about it you can't have um, as my mom used to like it, you know, she always wanted the Forsythian flower, almost preserved in formaldehyde, the same as her children, her eight children, in the itchy, woolly Christmas jumpers. It never evolved, never happened that way. We all had to grow up, we all had to evolve. Yeah. And trying to keep it in a state where it's never going to change, or it's always in flower, or you don't invert commas, butcher back a, a plant. And anybody who's ever grown Forsythia and Fuchsia or Grizzlinia will tell you you can nearly set the thing on fire. And the thing will just laugh at you and it'll be back the next year. Okay, I'm jesting. But within reason, you yeah. get what I'm saying. So, yeah, no, but it was always in the plan that the kids were going to grow up. And so over the years, the gardens did evolve and some planting parts had to be changed. But the outline and the general gist for her, as Mary would word it, the feeling was always there. Yeah. And that's the magic part about it. That feeling was there, even though the gardens always changed. Okay, so that's a very, very important point for the listeners to to bear in mind when they're looking at their own garden and coming up with an idea or a plan. Mm. Um, we're getting towards the end of it here now. Um, it's been great, great chat so far. Uh, a couple of very obvious questions that I think we'll ask. Um, won't narrow it down to one, but what's your favourite, your top three plants? And you can include trees, shrubs, <coughs> perennials, whatever it is. What are your top three? My top three plants are, that's that's an extremely uh, easy one for me. Uh Top three, Hamamelis mollus, and Hamamelis mollus in flower reminds me of my sisters when they used to make spiders out of potatoes and pipe cleaners, and uh, except the legs on it are luminous yellow, and that's what I used to always see them as. Um, but they flower on, on bare stems, and when all your mates have gone away and everything else is asleep, the Hamamelis just tends to pop out and go, sunshine. Yep. just sunshine and a fascinating plant and I, I absolutely love it dearly and the, the fact that it comes in a luminous yellow or a luminous red it's just it's just wonderful uh, so that's one uh, the second one then is the Krillis avalana contorta or the contorted hazel and again I think there's something about that gnarly old hazel wood there's something um, I know when I put it into gardens I'm going to get a phone call within about three months saying Jimmy next door who's a plumber or a, a you know a painter or a barrister or whatever thinks there's a problem with the plant and I go no it's meant to be that way um, and you, you can <laughs> nearly see or hear them coming uh, but when the yellow catkins fall down on that uh, when the plant is out of leaf when the new buds pop in and when you see the birds picking on it but you see that old gnarly knotted wood and then knowing that the suckers, the straight wood is coming from the bottom and knowing to cut them off and show the thing back up again. I think that's, I just think it's wonderful. And then after that, and this is going to sound like a silly one, but I have a thing for, um, I have a thing for, I was going to say penstemons and then I've changed it to, to daffs for no apparent reason. I just, I absolutely love the fact that you can plant daffodils in a bazillion colours 
below the lawn and not have to do any like anything at all with them just ignore them cut the grass long around them and i have about a thousand two hundred i think i planted about three or four years ago and they're still they're just crying yeah multiplying but they just come up every year and go hey i'm like i'm back uh, me. I didn't. You didn't get me anything for Christmas. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. I'll just be here, and I'll come back next year. I'll do it again. I'll do it again, and do it again. And I just think, I just think it's wonderful. And about three different colours planted in. And I think if um, I remember doing my sister's garden when she'd only bought her first house, I said to me, "Would you put down a lawn for me?" And I, I did, and I threw in. A half sack of daft bulbs that I had underneath and they come up through her lawn and when you're on a shoe I say when you're on a shoe string again I'll come back and say it nobody walked past her house and went oh my god she must be broke they all walked past and went oh my god there's oh, daft bulbs grow, yeah. growing through her lawn and it was just sunshine and happiness and, and simplicity and there you go and you're back to the you're back to the Rolling Stones vinyl for a fiver thing but isn't it just magic yeah, that's definitely something that bulbs give you obviously they, they give you value over a long period of time and keep that value keeps getting bigger uh, yeah. so yeah bulbs an, an interesting choice there tree so you have two woody type plants that change regularly and give different types of perspectives and it, but then you go back to a, a very basic uh, daffodil at the end so I, I could in, say, interesting I could sit here forever John and give you another list but like when you'd end up like most women in my life you'd just get extremely bored and you'd fall asleep and then it'd be an awful <laughs> way to end the podcast just your yeah, head sure. banging off the desk so um, yeah so that's that's basically it um, uh, again thank you very much Peter to, for coming on and being the very first guest on Master My Garden yeah. thank you John genuine pleasure, pleasure. honoured humbled um, so that's it folks um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode that's it see that's you bye bye firstly I'd like to say a real big thanks to Peter for coming on I know he's very, very busy at the moment with Hampton Court and DIY SOS and all the other big projects that he is going on. So I was really, really grateful for Peter for coming on this week. I think there was lots of good points in there. I particularly liked what he said about how you feel when you garden. And that's, you know, a starting point of any great garden design is that it's all about the feeling. Also, the fact that a garden changes over time, so changes you know, with the stage in life that you're at and so on, that's another good point. And I think bear that in mind when you're when you're planning your own garden. But there's some great tips there. And as I say, truly grateful to Peter for coming on. And wish him and his team the very, very best of luck at Hamden Court Palace Flower Show. So that's been this week's episode. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, share them with all your gardening friends. You can find us on Facebook at John Jones at Master My Garden or Instagram at Master My Garden. If there's anything you'd like covered in future episodes, please let me know. And until next week, happy gardening. Mm-hmm.